Okay, good morning everyone. My name is Adrian, if you don't know me. Um, in a moment, we'll kind of get into this series that we're looking at in the story. It's an amazing story of Ruth. But before we get there, I thought it'd just be good, as it's summer season, it's good to kind of give reality. And if you like, it helps us into the story of Ruth. You see, sometimes there can be a thing or. Uh, when you're up front, you think, well, that's kind of easy. So Sundays is kind of an easy day for you, Adrian, isn't it? It's the one day you work a week. True. And um, in it, you kind of obviously get up and then the whole of your life then comes together. This is a snapshot I thought I'd give of the reality of my life on a Sunday morning. So I wake up this morning, tiptoe around the house, make sure I'm not waking everyone up, uh, go downstairs, think I know I'll get everything ready, put the kettle on, they are now I draw the lounge curtains, go into the lounge. Now, what you've got to understand, I also, within our household, have three children, a wife, Lucy, and then also a dog, a little dog called Ted. Ted's nearly a year old. One day, you'll get to meet him. He's such a lovely little dog. And little Ted had obviously been up in the night, and I'm left a little present for me. Uh, Tommy's a little bit upset. So I go into the lounge, creeping across thinking I'm going to go and open the curtains. Foot down, bare feet. Sense the carpet's a little moister than it normally is. I wonder if someone spilt a drink. Continue towards the curtains. Draw the curtains, and there I have it. No one spilt a drink. A little dog gave me a gift. So there I am, sort of a Sunday morning, perched by the window for the whole of the neighbourhood to see me as I balance one-footed, thinking, what do I do now, and hop and clean my foot. Just so you know, I have washed my foot uh, <laughs> since then. And then spend the morning, in preparation of today, scrubbing our carpet, thinking it's probably not good practice to leave at this moment, allowing everyone else to find the gift too. So there you go, there's, there's a snapshot. Why am I telling you that? I don't know, I just thought it'd be good to tell you a reality of the life that I live. And it's not glamorous, it just is what it is. Because, to be honest, most of our lives are just ordinary. They're not kind of something extraordinary. It's just dealing with stuff that happens day in, day out. And the question is, how do we deal with it when it happens? It might not be a little gift from a dog in your lounge carpet. It might be something way worse than that. And what we're looking at is a story of just the realities of life. This story of Ruth is the realities of life of uh, two women who, who didn't ever think life would look like it did, where they find themselves in a setting of famine, of where food is just not there in supply. Then they find themselves in a setting that's actually about death, where those that they love, those that we intimately connected through, to, through marriage, were, were, uh, died. And they were left alone. We then find them, themselves in a community where they're trying to make their way within a society where it's kind of made up, where kind of men are where it's at. And actually, any woman needs the protection of a man. And yet, these women are kind of making their way, saying, how can we still make our lives okay as they are? And you find it's just the ordinariness of their lives. That's the extraordinariness of who God is comes and invades and we've been seeing week on, week out, how God wants to deal in the ordinariness of our lives, the reality of what we live with. And if you're around last week, we zoomed in on one of the key of the three characters of this story. We zoomed in on Boaz, and Glenn did this exceptional job of just allowing us to see just how Boaz is this kind of foreshadow of this greater one to come, Jesus. 
And actually, as we look at Bowers, we're able to understand something more of who Jesus is. And if you're around last week, Glenn kind of looked at Bowers under this phrase of, um, I've got your back. And just how Bowers had got Ruth and Naomi's back, we find that Jesus, this greater one, has our back. And this week, what we want to do is, within the story, is pause again and zoom in. And this time, we want to zoom in on the character of Ruth. And how we're going to do is we're going to pick it up within a part of the story, which as I thought Glenn did a great job of summarizing it, which is this part of the story, which is the curious incident in the night, where we find that Ruth goes to lengths to make quite an extraordinary, unusual marriage proposal to Boaz. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, all that was revealed there and how, how it's actually an invitation to rest, an invitation that isn't just to be seen for Ruth, but actually is for us to be understanding and getting hold of. How through Jesus we're able to enter rest beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine, much more than any holiday could ever deliver for us. And so within that section of the story, I want us to look at the character of Ruth. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses. And in it, what I'm hoping is we're going to be able to see something that I hope will change us as individuals, but also as a community. So we're going to look at uh, Ruth chapter 3 and just pick up from verse 10. And actually look at 10, verses 10 and 11 and we'll kind of pan from there. So this is Boaz replying to Ruth's proposal of marriage. Now, if you remember, it was this quite unique proposal where she got up in the middle of the night, waited till he was asleep, peeled back his blanket and then laid on his feet. And then when he woke up thinking, who on earth is that there? She then says, oh, it's, Ru- it's me, Ruth. Would you pull your garment over me? Would you put your blanket over me? In other words, this was her marriage proposal, quite an unusual one. But basically was saying, look, I'm submitting myself before you. I'm laying at your feet. And I'm asking now, in the coldness of the night, would you put your blanket over me? Would you offer me your protection? Would you become one who would be my protector? Would you be my husband? And so Boaz, in response to her proposal, we're going to get to see the action that then comes on in a couple of weeks' time. But at this point in time, he just responds. He says this, The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. If you like, the story of Ruth and this kind of beginning part where we just get to hear a little bit about her in chapter one and we just get to see something of just how she's introduced by saying, actually, Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going. It kind of keeps building, and then these moments where she says, actually, they've arrived in Bethlehem, and she says to Naomi, look, I want to take care of us. I'm going to go and uh, gather food for us from the fields. Then we get to this point where she then hears Naomi's advice of saying, well, you've got to find a husband, and says, actually, I don't want to just find a husband. I want to find someone who's going to restore the whole of us as a family and look out for us as a whole family, including you, Naomi. And we find this lady, Ruth, who then kind of gets this point, takes the action of marriage, And then gets to this point, and if you like, we have revealed at the center of the story what everyone thought of Ruth. See, what we find here is we find what Ruth's reputation was. And it's that that I want us to examine this morning. The whole 
element, the whole subject of reputation. You see, every single one of us in this room will have a reputation. Reputation is that sense of what we have as an opinion or belief about someone. And so everyone we know will have an opinion and belief about us. In actual fact, some people we don't know and yet know of us will have an opinion and a belief about us. We will have a reputation. And so we could wheel in different people. I haven't done this. I also haven't written or phoned anyone that you know just and put them on the screen and say, now this is what so-and-so says about them. We, within the communities we live in, with the places we work, with the places we go out to, with the places we shop, we will have reputations. People will consider us in different ways. We will be known for things. People will believe things about you and about me. I, I know it's true. I know, as I often talk about, a place that I spend quite lots of time in is the co-op down from where I live. I know I have a reputation there. And depending on which people you speak to is different. I think, I, I think I'm known as the kind of smiley guy. That's what I'm known as. The smiley guy who always asks everyone how they are. That's how I'm known at co-op. It was in Lucy, Lucy, my wife, goes into the co-op and people ask her where I am. <laughs> because there's an opinion and a belief about me within the co-op. <laughs> Lawrence too has a reputation <laughs> see all of us have it you see I could put up six images on the screen which I would do now and each of these people we will have an opinion or belief about so I wonder if that screen could go up now there we go so we've got Mother Teresa David Cameron Malala Lady Gaga which I know all of us knew Simon Cowell and Russell Brand like every single one of those individuals, because of the strength of who they are, because of the sense of the culture we live in, each and every one of us would have heard different things about them, and we will have formed an opinion, a belief about them. And with that, we will then think, oh, that's their reputation. And so we could take the guy bottom left-hand corner, or bottom right-hand corner for you, Russell Brand, every single one of us will have an opinion about him. For some of us, we think, yes, the leader of the revolution. For others of us, we're thinking, a bit of a joke. We'll have opinions about them. For some of us, we won't have ever heard her music, but Lady Gaga, we will have a, a kind of sense of the reputation she has. If nothing else, we'll think, meat dress. We'll have opinions about it. We can then go to the ones at the top, which to most of the ones that have polarized views. And so you can get someone like Mother Teresa, who to be honest, reputation throughout the whole of the world is one that people say, man, is she amazing? And when she stood and spoke in front of President Clinton and all his entourage in America, it said that there was, first of all, a 15-minute standing ovation. Even though before that, she'd stood up and commented against everything that he stood for. 15-minute standing ovation. We could then move through, and these aren't political comments. I've not put someone up there as a, the political party they represent, but it's more, it's the prime minister. The, <laughs> the leader of our country that every single one of us will have an opinion about. Malala. Just this young girl, the youngest person ever to get a Nobel Peace Prize, living in Birmingham at the moment. 
we have an opinion about, don't we? It's the girl who's shot, left for dead, and then doesn't use that as to become a victim, but rather uses that moment to actually say, maybe we need to change everything for everyone. And becomes this incredible voice. I don't know if you've ever read some of her transcripts of her speeches, and you think, what? A 16-year-old saying that? At 16, I was basically able to string a few sentences together, which were always interspersed with like and, well, uh, that's how I did it. And there she is, stood in front of the power leaders of our day. Be able to converse with them. Be able to say, maybe we should shape the world differently. Each of these people, we all have an opinion and a belief about, and that forms our reputation of them. And the same is true for us. And the same was true for Ruth. See, what we find is there was a reputation that was revealed. It was revealed in verse 11 that we read. So it says this, Boaz says this, All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Ruth had a reputation. She didn't just have a reputation with Boaz. This isn't a moment of him thinking, younger girl, because he's just said that it's incredible that she's taken a shining to him. She says, man, you could have had a pick of everyone. Pick of the rich and the wealthy. Pick of the influential and the powerful. Pick of the young and the handsome. And you choose me. Yes, he did have influence and status, but he was old. And he's thinking, man, this is amazing. And yet he says, doesn't says something to kind of win her to himself a bit more, saying, oh, well, you know, I know your reputation. You're very noble. And he says, this isn't my reputation of you. This isn't my opinion, belief of you. This is the opinion and belief of everyone in the town of Bethlehem. The movers and shakers, the people that no one knows. Everyone talks about you like this. When they describe Ruth, they say her reputation is one of being a noble character. That word noble is rich in meaning. If you pick up the Bible and read different translations, each one translates that word noble in different ways because they can't quite pin how in the English we're able to use and express that word. And so you get that word noble described as worthy or virtuous. If you read the Amplified Bible, which I always like sometimes to read because the Amplified Bible, what it does is it says, I don't know, let's just give you a load of clues and you can try and figure it out for yourself. And so you have a word and then you have in brackets a whole list of words that it could potentially be. And then you can pick and think, all right, that's the flavor of what it's looking like. Now in it, what that word noble is, the sense of being virtuous. The expense of being worthy, of being honorable, of being strong, of being able, of being capable, of being one of integrity, of being one who others would trust, of being one who's winsome, of being one who's of status and influence. And if you like, this nobody from another nation had come and become known as all of those things throughout the whole of the town. And the thing is with Ruth, when you read the story, it isn't like she went after people knowing her to be this. It isn't that she kind of landed in Bethlehem with Naomi and thought, okay, game plan, I need to do some networking. Where does everyone hang out? I know, everyone hangs out at the city gate. The movers and shakers in this day and age would have lived and worked around the city gate, the entrance to the town of Bethlehem. And then the ones, the who's who of Bethlehem, the celebrities, the influencers, would have hung around there and talked about stuff. Talked about stuff that mattered, talked about stuff that didn't matter. 
But everyone knew that if you were at the city gate, you were the movers and shakers, you were the influencers. It isn't that Ruth thought, I know I'm going to go and hang out at the city gate. I just get known. I kind of talk the story. Talk the story about who I am, what I've done. Oh, I used to be a nation, that nation, but I left that nation to be with Naomi. You've heard of Naomi? Well, you know, I, I look after her. That's what I do. I look after people. Why aren't you looking after them now? Oh, because I'm talking to you. Because I look after people. This wasn't someone who'd gone after thinking, I want to build a reputation for myself, therefore I'm going to network to do it. Rather, we find this reputation was built in a totally different way. The reputation revealed was built in how she lived. So we find that out actually when Boaz first comes into connection and contact with her. So we do the next slide, reputation built. We find in Ruth chapter 2 when Boaz originally meets her as she's harvesting within his field, picking up the leftovers from his harvesters. And he says this about her, because all he's heard, he's never met her, but this is what he's heard from others. He says, Boaz replied, chapter 2, verse 11, I've told, been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. See, Ruth just got on and lived her life. And as she did it, built this reputation around her. Because people watched what she did. They watched that she was the woman who actually could have just stayed in her homeland, could have said goodbye to her mother-in-law, Naomi, had no natural links any longer with her because her husband had died, Naomi's uh, sons had died, her own husband had died. She decided to go back to her own land. At that point, Ruth had every potential of saying, well, that's it, I'm going to stay here. But she was known as someone who'd chosen not to do that. One who'd chosen to say, I'm going to, wherever you go, I'm with you. She was known as that one. She was known, therefore, as one who was self-sacrificing. She was also known as someone who was, work, who was up to doing what she said she was about. So it says that first bit, I've been told all about what you've done. And when he says that what you've done, it's both what you did in terms of leaving your homeland, how you're willing to be self-sacrificial, but also what people have observed in how you've sought to be since living here. And there he is, stood in his field, thinking and looking around, saying, and, and this is you now, taking care of everyone. As you're seeking to say to Naomi, you stay there, I want to come here and take care of you by getting crops in, in order that we can eat. It's someone who's, he saw and said, actually, I can see yourself sacrificial, but I can also see that you're one who's seeking to provide, you're seeking to take action. In it, within this whole vein, as we've seen through week on, week out, is this whole sense of him revealing to her that he sees that she's one who lives with this unbelievable sense, this word that in Hebrew is hesed. But it's this word that we've come to see week on, week out, is this whole way of expressing kindness. So a kindness that's different to what we'd say in just kindness, because kindness can just feel like, oh, that's nice. Whereas actually when that word hesed was being spoken of, it was a kindness that was about a loyal, loving kindness expressed. It was about this deep devotion towards someone. And as Boaz kind of comes into contact with Ruth, he's saying, this is what I've seen and heard of you. I've heard all about you, and yet I see, and I see it in practice. Ruth was one who hadn't gone after a reputation. She just sought to live it, and it sought to build it. The thing is, we can then hear that and think, all right, so it's about what you do. Well, actually, for Ruth, we have to peel it back another layer. Because actually, the reputation that was revealed, the reputation that people saw, 
The reputation that was then built through the actions she took was actually a reputation that was founded on a reality of how she'd sought to live. And so we find back in chapter 1, verse 16, where we find this most incredible moment where Naomi says to Ruth, go back, just, just stay in your homeland. And Ruth replies, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. and Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. See, the origins of Ruth's reputation that was revealed and people understood her to be wasn't simply built through some actions. It was founded in this moment. It was founded on this moment where Ruth decided she was going to be devoted. She's going to be devoted to Naomi. Wherever Naomi went, she was going to go. Whatever Naomi did, Ruth was going to be at. She said, that's the deal now. I'm just with you. Your people are going to be my people. But more than that, it wasn't just that Ruth was devoted to Naomi. It was also that she was now devoted to God. This end bit where she says, if we're to be separated, and I don't still, so in other words, if Naomi, you die, I still want you to know that I'm still going to stay where you live. I'm still going to be in the, the land that's yours, because actually even death isn't going to separate us. And then she says, and if it isn't so, let the Lord deal with me directly. And what she's saying there is actually, your God is now my God. That word Lord is Yahweh, which is the way of expressing uh, God who we know as Father, Son and Spirit. As in actually, that God, the God of your people, the Israelites, is now my God. I'm devoted to him. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to him. And for Ruth, it was out of that place of devotion that everything else was shaped. Her reputation was just built on devotion. It wasn't that she'd like network to find it. It wasn't that she then just sought to do some things to be known for something. For Ruth, she's just simply gone out and lived out of this place of devotion. And everything else was shaped from that point. The thing is here, I wonder, and my guess is, all of us in this room would love to have <laughs> reputations like Ruth. That for all of us, we'd love to know, well, I don't know what the area you live in, whether it's Sturchey, Bourneville, Harborne, Northfield, uh, Selly Oak, maybe it's north of the city, so it's Erdington, maybe it's Handsworth, maybe it's Lazelles, maybe it's east of the city, maybe it's uh, Solihull, because I hear that's the east part of Birmingham, uh, maybe it's Acox Green, um, Hall Green, you know, there's all those places. Maybe it's the Maypole. That in that area, that community... And wouldn't it be amazing if you were just known, oh, oh that's so-and-so. Oh, they're someone of noble character. Us understanding that's all there. Now, the, the danger is we can think, well, oh, yeah, I'd love to have this reputation like Ruth. And we begin to think, well, then let's go after that then. Let's go after the reputation. But, but that's not the point. That, that, that's doing what Ruth never did. That's basically becoming a networker. That's being seen at the right places. As in, oh, yeah, this is my reputation. I'm going to build it now. It's not that. It's also 
that we don't then think, well, let's bolt some things on. Let's seek to build this reputation. and Let's bolt some things on the outside of our life where we think, oh, yeah, this is what I'll get known for. Because, again, that actually isn't not only what Ruth didn't do, it's also what Jesus said we weren't to be. See, Jesus said that actually our reputations get built from the inside out. Actually, what matters is what's going on inside. And so he like, used these illustrations, so he used one like a cup. He says, your lives aren't to be like a cup or a tomb, where it looks like really glistening on the outside, and you kind of look at it and think, man, that's amazing. But then you go inside, and it's a tomb, and you realize that everything inside is death. Or like a cup, and you look inside, and you think, actually, everything inside is just moldy. Jesus said, we're, we're, to understand that how we build reputations is actually from the inside out. And so therefore, we start where we finished off with Ruth. The whole point is, for us to have reputations like Ruth, is we need to understand that we have a reputation that's founded in the same place, and that's that place of devotion. The devotion of understanding that we are now those who devoted our lives to Jesus who devoted our lives to Jesus because of his and out of his devotion to us, revealed through his life, death, and resurrection. Everything we've been celebrating in respect to worship this morning. I'm saying, actually, Jesus, out of what you've done for me and expressing your love towards me, of your love revealed through your life, death, and resurrection, I'm now, in light of your devotion to me, I'm now devoting myself to you. And you see, as we live with that moment of devoting our lives to Jesus... It then causes our reputation to be defined. See, we get this one kind of messed up because we, what we think is, all right, so as I live out my devotion to Jesus, I get to know a reputation. I know as you live with Jesus at the center, as I live with Jesus at the center, understanding that I'm now devoted to him, as he's been devoted to me, that now defines my reputation forever. It isn't any longer something I'm looking for. It's actually something I've already got. And therefore, I get to live out of. See, God defines our reputation in order that we can then live free of seeking to build a reputation. So we find in Galatians 4, this most remarkable moment where our reputation is defined. As Paul writes it, so many different ways we could look at it, but I like this one for today. It says, Galatians 4, 5 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. See, what Paul is doing is saying, okay, there's so many different ways that we look at what it looks like to have this reputation defined. Now we devote our lives to Jesus out of his devotion to us in coming, being born of a woman, dying on a cross and rising from the dead in order that he can offer us life of love, acceptance and forgiveness. And Paul says, well, how I want us to understand we've now been defined as a reputation is by two different ways. One way that we are now against one way that we were. He says, how we're to define is we're now a child, not a slave. What that means is that we're a child, not a slave. It means that as a child, we get to rest in something because as a slave, all you do is you work for something. Because if you're a child of the employer, the, the, the master, actually, you know that you've not got to work for him. You know that you just belong to him. 
Paul says this fundamentally changes everything because what happens is you've got a totally different reputation to define in a different way. You're no longer looking to work to please someone, work to earn something, rather you just get to live resting in something. So we get to rest in what? Well, we get to rest in the understanding that because of what Jesus has done, we get this totally new way of living through Jesus. So we get to rest in relationship. We get to understand that we don't approach God as one to be feared and one to kind of, kind of turn away from and say, oh, who am I to be in your sight? But rather one that we come to understand is our father. Jesus, who we get to call our friend and brother, the spirit who comes and lives within us. We get caught up and rest in relationship. We get to rest in the fact that we're unconditionally loved and accepted. We get to rest in the fact that we now are part of this amazing family. A family that has incredible values of joy, of peace, of justice, of mercy, of righteousness, of only seeking to do what's going to be good and right for everyone. In light of who God is. We get to then know this sense of values that we then get to enjoy within ourselves, and get to enjoy with God and get to enjoy with others who then center their lives around who Jesus is. In order that we'd understand that our reputation is, oh, we're, we're children of God. Therefore, as a child of God, we are as loved as we could ever be, as accepted as we could ever be. We are always in relationship with him. We also get to live within the bounds of his family values, of love, peace, justice, mercy, of righteousness, of joy. That's our reputation. That's the reputation that's been defined over us forever. It's then out of that place that we then get to reveal our reputation. See, this becomes the moment where it's revolutionary. Because suddenly it's no longer that we're living to gain a reputation off others. It's rather that we get to therefore live revealing the reputation we've already got from one who created everything. Suddenly the pressure's off. I'm no longer being judged on the performance of others who are human. I've actually been defined and given a reputation of one who created humanity. And what he says is I'm loved, accepted, and part of his family. I tell you what, if we can get hold of that, that is quite dangerous. Because suddenly it means that within the communities we live in, within the jobs that we do, within the places that we're looking to process our recovery or where we're looking to live out seeking employment or whether we're studying or whether we're playing sport or going for leisure walks, that whatever we're doing in our life, we're not looking to do it in order that we'd impress others or gain others' belief or opinion of us. Rather, those who then in that place say, oh, this is a moment where I get to act out of the reputation I've already got. And therefore, I get to be in this moment someone who's seeking to reveal the love, the acceptance, the relationship that I do, do enjoy. I get to reveal the sense of family that I'm now part of. So I get to bring the peace, the joy, the comfort, the righteousness, the, the uh, goodness of who God is into this place that I'm part of. Which then transforms how you shop at the co-op. Because suddenly I'm not going there thinking, what do people think of me? I'm going there thinking, how can I get people to understand the reputation I've already got? So when I walk around and I meet Nigel at the till, Nigel loves films. How do I know that? 
Because when I first met Nigel, I didn't think, do my stuff because I want to get out. I didn't also think, oh, I know, I'll just be a nice person to you. I thought, how in this moment as I meet you, Nigel, can I cause you to understand that actually I'm not looking to build a reputation with you. I just want you to understand who I already am. And so I want to find out more about you than you will of me. Because actually, I don't need to trumpet myself. And so I quickly found out. Within one visit, the till, some of you are thinking, man, how long do people have to wait in the queue after you? Sometimes quite a long time. And so I'm there, and all I do is just talk to Nigel. And talk to him and say, how's your day been? What did you do? He then says, I watched films. Oh, do you like films? What kind of films do you like? Bang, we're in. Nigel is now my film review guy. Like genuinely, I go in and I speak at co-op and Lucy can vouch for this and we'll meet Nigel and I'll say to Nigel, what's the film you've seen latest? And then he'll tell me. And he knows what I do now. And so then he knows there's some sorts of films because he likes horror and sci-fi and Marvel. So he knows he's not going to give me a review on the horror because he knows what I kind of think about that. But the sci-fi and the Marvel, he'll tell me which ones are worth kind of taking the kids to and which ones I might enjoy. And so I'll do that. So I've not seen many films because I thought Nigel gave it a one star. I'm not going there. Now, in it, what's happened there is that Nigel has begun to realize that I'm not looking to build a reputation for myself because actually I've started to live out of something. And what's happened is as I've sought to live out of something for me, I've got to know more of him. What's happened is I've got to know more of him as he wants to know more of me. Now, does it lead to Nigel suddenly within his opinion of Ant-Man? falling to his knees, saying, actually, Adrian, what you've done in you just asking me about Ant-Man has made me think, how do I know Jesus? It doesn't get to that point yet. Because often it takes a long time to get there. But what happens is we start to influence people all around us. I'll tell you another story. A friend of mine, he gets spotted by someone who cuts their hair. He gets spotted when they're not seeing, when they don't notice that person spotted them. And then a mutual friend, so this is getting complicated, isn't it? Friends are friends are friends. So a mutual friend gets their hair cut by the same person. Now this mutual friend getting hair cut, the hair cutter knows that the mutual friend knows that friend. So the hair cutter, so we got it. So we've got hair cutter sees this friend. We got there? I'm, I'm, I know it's Sunday morning, but I'm going to get you wait. Come on. Mutual friend sees that friend. That fr sorry, hairdresser sees that friend. Mutual friend of that friend and the hairdresser, because hairdresser's cutting mutual friend's hair, is sat there having hair cut. Hairdresser speaks to mutual friend and says, hey, you never guess what? I saw friend the other day. He didn't know I spotted them. So I watched them for a bit. How freaky is that? <laughs> I watched them. Do you know what I noticed? Is even when no one's looking at them, they're still really smiley. It's not put on. They seem like they genuinely are who they say they are. Here's the deal. Mutual friend and friend, connection point is Oasis Church. Hairdresser knows that. Hairdresser recognizes that actually there's something in what these guys are about that actually is different to anything else he sees. Why? Because friend over here, he's not in a show. He's not thinking, Christian face on, better show people Jesus today. Oh, hello, you all right? Nice to see you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> oh, 
No one's around. Oh, flip, man. You know, it's just, I shouldn't say that word. Sorry, I'm trying to stop saying that word. Um, there you go. It's my path to recovery on that word. That, oh, this is, what a bad day. Oh, there's no one around. No, I can let off the steam now. No, no one's going to really notice. Oh, kick the cat. Oh. No, it's because that person actually started to realize they've got this other reputation. They're not looking to build anything. They just live out of something. So then when, they aren't, when no one's looking at them, they're still the same person because they still think, man, I'm loved unconditionally. I'm accepted unconditionally. I'm a child of God. I'm part of his family. Boy, that's good news. I'm not going to kick that cat. Even though I don't really like cats, I'm not going to kick it because actually I've got everything to live for. Even when life feels like it's just dealing with me bad card after bad card. Again, probably an illustration I shouldn't use. But even in that moment, when life seems to suck, I don't have to, at that point, forget the reputation I've already got. I'm not defined by this moment. I'm defined by one who is beyond all moments, who is eternal, who said forever, for all time, I'm loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally, and part of his family and all the values that he has given. And therefore, I get to live and reveal from that place. What's our reputation? What's our reputation together? What's our reputation as individuals? Favorite story of mine is this. George Maxwell Gordon, 1800s missionary to India. It was said of him that his commitment and conduct were evident to all. He just wanted to go and live in India and reveal who Jesus is. There's one moment where he got to a community where he knew there was a language barrier. So he started to communicate with a local guy, a Hindu guy, and said, please, would you come and live with me and help me understand the local dialect. The guy turns to him and says, I will not live with you. I will not come and teach you because you will convert me to Christianity. So George says, no, 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 I'm not looking to convert you. All I want you to do is live with me and teach me the language. The Hindu guy turns to him and says, look, no one can live with you and not become a Christian. Wouldn't it be amazing to have that reputation? That no one could live with us. No one could come and be with us as a community. No one could like, follow us within our day-to-day -day lives and not become a Christian. Because we've learned what it is to live out of the reputation we've already got rather than seeking to pursue one that's yet to be had. Can I encourage us not at this moment to think, oh, I don't think anyone would become a Christian if they lived with me. Let's not hear that. Let's rather say, have a moment of saying, Jesus, as from the very beginning of this morning, I just want to say I want to be devoted to you. I want my reputation to be defined by you and no other. And as it's defined by you, I want to allow it to then rub off on everyone I come into contact with. Because I promise you, as we live that way, it will be said of us. No one can live with you and not become a Christian. Can I pray for us? Jesus, I thank you so much that you've defined us in such a unique and amazing way. I thank you that in being devoted to you, of having you at the very center of our life, it doesn't just change uh, who we are uh, in some moments. It defines who we are forever. 
And I thank you it causes us to live in this world, building and growing out of a reputation we've already gained. And I pray, God, for each of us. I pray for some of us that I pray that we discover that for ourselves to be true. I pray for many of us that we live in the light of it, that we stop pursuing reputations that are yet to be had and live out of this amazing reputation we've already got, of those who are loved and accepted unconditionally, who are now part of your family and all the values that means forever. Ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.